Hi, welcome to Come Follow Me with Bree, episode 54, Let Your Soul Be at Rest. This week, we are going to dive right in to one of my favorite sections, section 108. This is going to be somewhat short and sweet compared to other episodes that I normally do, primarily because I just don't want to talk too much. I just really want the Lord's message to stand out to you. So let's get started. This section is given at request of a man named Lyman Sherman, and he had just been called as a high priest and a 70, and he came to the prophet requesting a revelation so he could know what his duties were. So starting with verse 1, Verily thus saith the Lord unto you, my servant Lyman, your sins are forgiven you, because you have obeyed my voice in coming up hither. Therefore let your soul be at rest concerning your spiritual standing, and resist no more my voice. And arise up, and be more careful henceforth in observing your vows, which you have made, and do make, and you shall be blessed with exceedingly great blessings. So, these three verses, what are some things we can learn? First, when we obey and take action on the Lord's command, it is purifying. Why are Lyman's sins forgiven him? The Lord says it's because you have obeyed my voice. This is a pattern that we see repeatedly in the Doctrine and Covenants, and there are often declarations to individuals that their sins are forgiven due to their obedience. President Ezra Taft Benson said, Obedience is the first law of heaven. And then Christ also entreats us by saying, If ye love me, keep my commandments. So at its core, what is commandment keeping? Obedience. So love equals obedience. The life of Jesus Christ embodies love, and he showed his love for the Father through obedience, and he declared many times over the course of his life that the purpose of his obedience was to glorify the Father. His obedience was completely unselfish. He lived his life to glorify the Father and to save others, to save us. His entire existence was for the Father and for us not for himself. Imagine, if you can, the life of Jesus Christ going a different direction. What if he chose not to be obedient? What if his primary objective in life was not to glorify the Father? Then what would his focus have been? If he would have chosen not to be obedient, why might that have been? What kind of things might he have been trying to avoid? Perhaps he was trying to avoid hardship or ridicule or suffering, or maybe it wouldn't have seemed fair that his mortal life had to be so hard and for it to end so cruelly. Now, if that were actually true, where would you say that his focus was? He would pretty much just be thinking about himself, right? So I think the same applies for us. When we're choosing not to be obedient to the Father and thereby choosing not to show love to the Father, We are choosing ourselves. We're choosing selfishness. And this is why people say that love is a verb, right? Actual love requires action. It requires thinking about the other person and doing things that honors the love that you have for them. It doesn't mean never making sure that we're setting boundaries and and doing things that are good for us. But it does mean if we really love that person, we're doing things that honor that love for them. And sometimes that's hard, right? Like as a parent, you might not always just do things that make your child completely happy in the moment because you love them. And so you're thinking long-term. 
The same applies with the Lord. He unconditionally loves us. His love cannot be lost. But that doesn't mean that he's going to tell us that sin is okay. Because he knows that ultimately telling us just what we want to hear in the moment doesn't help us long term. But if we're thinking about the love that we have toward the Lord, since he is perfect, since he holds up all obligations, since he cannot lie, if we are always thinking about the Lord, we would always choose obedience, right? And when we're thinking about ourselves, those are the times that we might not choose obedience to the Lord. And in fact, even if our actions outwardly are righteous, when do those actions actually count? In the eyes of the Lord. It's when our hearts are where they are supposed to be. So true obedience to the Lord is obedience outward and obedience in our heart when we are ready to let God prevail in our life. Richard G. Scott said, By studying the lives recorded in the Book of Mormon, you will see that selfishness is at the root of all sin. It leads to unrighteous acts that brings anguish and misery you will observe that the antidote for selfishness is love, especially love of the Lord. Love can overpower the undermining effect of selfishness. Love engenders faith in Christ's plan of happiness, provides courage to begin the process of repentance, strengthens the resolve to be obedient to his teachings, and opens the door of service, welcoming in the feelings of self-worth and of being loved and needed. So, when we choose loving our Heavenly Father first, that love for him has a natural consequence. And that consequence is obedience. And out of obedience comes repentance and forgiveness. I think about Nephi's prayer in 2 Nephi chapter 4, verse 31 and 32. Wilt thou make me that I may shake at the appearance of sin? May the gates of hell be shut continually before me, because my heart is broken and my spirit is contrite. O Lord, wilt thou not shut the gates of thy righteousness before me? that I may walk in the path of the low valley, that I may be strict in the plain road. That is a repentant, loving heart focused on the Lord. And any loving, repentant heart focused on the Lord is purified by the Lord. So ask yourself, if the Lord would put you in the same category as Lyman Sherman in this section, are you obeying the voice of the Lord? Are you coming unto him? Are you keeping his commandments to the best of your ability and then sincerely repenting when you don't? If you are, you are forgiven. And the Lord has the most perfect thing to say to you next. Therefore, let your soul be at rest concerning your spiritual standing and resist no more my voice. Let your soul be at rest. Have you ever thought about dwelling on past forgiven sin as a form of resistance to the Lord? Have you ever thought about dwelling on past forgiven sin as a way of letting the adversary back in? The Lord suffered, bled, and died for you. I don't really know how that works, but I know that the Lord does. So when I feel forgiven for something, I know that the Lord expects me to put it behind. And that doesn't mean to forget the lessons that I learned along the way, but it does mean that I have faith that when he says I am forgiven, that it is true, that it does work, even though I don't understand it. When I resist allowing him to take those burdens from me, 
I am resisting the gift that he lives to give me. In essence, I am rejecting his purpose. His purpose is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. The immortality portion is already guaranteed, but the eternal life portion? That part hinges upon my willingness to use and accept the atonement of Jesus Christ. Richard G. Scott starts out by quoting Alma in his story of repentance. I was in the most bitter pain and anguish of my soul, and never, until I did cry out to the Lord Jesus for mercy, did I receive a remission of my sins. But behold, I did cry unto him, and I did find peace to my soul. And now I have told you this, that ye may learn wisdom, that there is no other way or means whereby man can be saved, only in and through Christ. From the scripture, you can see that suffering does not bring forgiveness. It comes through faith in Christ and obedience in his teachings so that his gift of redemption can apply. Have you ever felt the need to wallow in your suffering because you deserve it? Because you feel that you deserve to continue to be reminded and to be crushed by that weight of something that you have done? Alma reminds us there that that suffering, that is not what brings forgiveness. Only relying on Jesus Christ brings forgiveness, not the suffering. So this is my challenge to you. When you repent, let your soul be at rest concerning your spiritual standing. And then to continue with verse 3. Arise up and be more careful in observing your vows which you have made and do make. One of my favorite talks of all time was given by Michelle Craig, and she talked about a phrase coined by Neil A. Maxwell, divine discontent. She says, divine discontent comes when we compare what we are to what we have the power to become. Each of us, if we are honest, feels a gap between where and who we are and where and who we want to become. We yearn for greater personal capacity. We have these feelings because we are daughters and sons of God, born with the light of Christ, yet living in a fallen world. These feelings are God-given and create an urgency to act. We should welcome feelings of divine discontent that call us to a higher way, while recognizing and avoiding Satan's counterfeit, paralyzing discouragement. This is a precious space into which Satan is all too eager to jump. We can choose to walk the higher path that leads us to seek God and his peace and grace, or we can listen to Satan, who bombards us with messages that we will never be enough, rich enough, smart enough, beautiful enough, anything enough. Our discontent can become divine or destructive. One way to tell divine discontent from Satan's counterfeit is that divine discontent will lead us to faithful action. Divine discontent is not an invitation to stay in our comfort zone, nor will it lead us to despair. I have learned that when I wallow in thoughts of everything that I am not, I do not progress and I find it much more difficult to feel and follow the Spirit. She ends her talk with a quote from C.S. Lewis. Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he is doing. He is getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and you are not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably. You see, 
he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage. But he is building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Isn't that so amazing to think about? We know that no unclean thing can enter into the presence of God. He is creating you into a being that can abide his presence. As we allow God to continually remake our hearts and minds as we follow him, let's allow our souls to be at rest, to feel the peace that comes from accepting the Lord's gift to us, the ability to leave our sins behind, to become eventually like him. As God continually rebuilds us in ways that we don't understand yet, in ways that might feel jarring at times, Remember that his plan for you is infinitely better than anything you could ever come up with. So as the Lord says in this section, rise up and be more careful henceforth in observing your vows. Strengthen your brethren and sisters in all your conversation, in all your prayers, in all your exhortations, and in all your doings. Behold and lo, I am with you to bless you and deliver you forever. And I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We could all use a little bit more peace in Christ in our daily lives. So if you enjoyed this episode, if it touched your heart, if it brought the spirit to your mind and to your life, please share it because that is ministry.